the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Clarity Christian College, formerly known as Florida Bible College. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Again, if you have your Bibles, you can follow along in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. A cover on Time magazine a while ago, you might have seen it, had a picture of a cloned sheep. And underneath that picture was a caption that read this. Not since God has taken Adam's rib to fashion a helpmate for him, has anything so fantastic occurred? Now that's really interesting as I thought about that, that they would clone a sheep. So now you have one sheep and then you had another sheep. And it seems like they're trying to move in the direction of cloning men. Now, can you imagine if there was another person just like you in the world or just like me? Now, wouldn't that be fascinating? And yet, as I look at what I understand from Scripture, that God does something that is even more interesting and more fantastic that we're going to learn about this week and in the weeks to come. Now, God isn't interested in cloning us and making another duplicate of you and me. In fact, what God does, He does something even greater than a duplicate of us. He takes us and He renews us. He transforms us. And so we have the opportunity not to be the same old stuff, but by His power and His grace, He can then make us a whole new you and a whole new you and me together. And I really love that about Him. So some of you that are here today are listening maybe on CD or the radio, let me encourage you that For those of you that feel like your past is so messed up and that your future is just so dark and bleary, I want you to know that God wants to take your life and by His power that He wants to reinvent it for you to His glory. So truly, the best is yet to come. As I've read the history of this island, through many times the eyes of the missionaries, they would tell us often how that sometimes it would be people from other countries. They would come for whatever reason, maybe through whalers and other industries. They would go from the east to the west. But they were hoping that they would stop here in Hawaii and they would not get back on their ship again because they wanted to start life all over again. And wouldn't it be true that there are people probably today on our island that are wanting to start life again? But just moving to a new location or getting into a new relationship or even a new job or maybe even winning some great deal of money, that's not going to change you from the inside out. But God says you can be reinvented. Now, while I was going through this material, I got thinking about each one of you here in a special way. That in a group this size, that I've got some folks that have been saved a long time. Even today, we have full-time missionaries that have walked with God a long time. And so they could easily look at something like this and say, you know how to have a new life? You know, I already have a new life. I've already heard this. Let's pray for the others. I really believe I could retitle this, how to have a newer life in Christ, that all of us should be on a growth track where that we're growing in our knowledge of the Lord and that we're coming even more like Him. And then for some of you that are really looking to start over again, you've come to the right place, 
and the right book that you can start over again, reinvent, have a do-over in your life with a new life that God wants you to have. A life that you'll never have to return to, an old life back there that you can leave behind. And so we're going to look at some of those principles today. Now to do that, you need to understand a little bit about the book we're studying. We're studying the book of Colossians. Now Colossians, like many of the New Testament books, is almost divided in concept in half. Usually the first part of the book talks about the high academics of doctrine. Talks a lot about the deep truths of the word. Now those aren't dusty, boring truths. What that really is, is a rock-solid foundation upon which then we build our outward life, our practical Christian life. Well, for the last many weeks, we've covered Colossians chapter 1 and 2, and we learned great, deep, foundational truths about God and who He is. Now we're going to look at how we're supposed to live. There are a lot of people today, they know how to declare truth and defend truth, but they sure don't know how to demonstrate truth. And God wants us to demonstrate truth that is properly declared and defended. So our lifestyle needs to match up what we're saying. And that's what we're going to learn today. So let's look at this truth. How do you have a new life in Christ? Number one, you want to seek what is above. That's our first thought coming from verse one. Would you look at it? It says, if you then were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above or Christ is sitting on the right hand of God. So first of all, this is talking to those who already know Christ as Savior. How many are positive that if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven? Would you raise your hand? All right, that means that Paul is writing to people just like you and me. And he wants us to know that now we're in Christ, we can have a new life. So he tells us to seek those things which are before. You know that word that says seek there? It's actually in a Greek tense in the original language that means keep on seeking. So the idea is you're seeking, but you keep on doing this. And when it says those that are above or seek Christ, I got thinking a great deal about seeking those things which are above, seeking us that we've been raised with Christ. It came to me that sometimes when we look for something, we look for it until we find it and then we don't look for it any longer. We have a, we have a couple cats that we love very much. You know, you enjoy pets. Carol, probably more than I do because she's a cat lady. But anyway, last night we had a delightful fellowship at our house. Everybody has gone home and we were taking out the last bit of trash from our house. And when we did, our little cat ran out the door. That cat was named Chloe. And it really is a Chloe cat. You know what that means? Rascal. And so that little jewel ran out the door in the dark and headed right to the fence, ran around the yard. And Carol is leaning through the window saying, help me, help me find Chloe. And so we looked and looked and looked and just in a matter of moments, we saw Chloe and Carol lunged underneath the table there, grabbed Chloe and brought him in. Now, once Chloe was in the house, we didn't look for Chloe any longer. He was there. Now, sometimes when you hear the phrase, seek Christ, you think, well, I found him, so I don't need to seek him any longer. Probably a more contemporary concept would be this, focus on Christ. When you focus, 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 that means that you're going to keep on looking at Him. And many times in Scripture, there are other verses that say you keep on looking to Him. Now, some of you that are new into this, you're going to think, well, what do I do? I look to Christ. What does that really mean? Well, what you really are looking at are the values that identify Christ's character. You're looking at Christ, but you're looking at everything that there would be about Jesus Christ. And so that's what you're keeping your mind on. In fact, in Matthew chapter 6, it talks about seek those things which are above. And, and it also talks about seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. So it's the whole realm of Christ. It's all what you know about Christ. Now let me pause for a moment. Some that are new into this journey of Christianity, they see Christ and they have a little vision of Christ. The more you focus on Christ through His Word, the more that Christ is going to come into focus and it's going to take on, instead of a black and white, it's going to take on technicolor. Instead of menorah, it'll move to stereo. Then soon it'll go into a surround sound as you're focusing, focusing, focusing 
on Christ. So if we want to have a new life, we have to really focus on Him. And that's the critical thing that He wants for all of us. But let's look at number two. He wants you to set your heart and your mind on Him. Look at the verse here. It says, set your mind on the things above, not on things on the earth. Well, this is also an interesting Greek word when it talks about set. It actually says, keep on setting. So now you have two parts of this verse that says, seek the Lord and keep on seeking Him. But at the same time, keep on setting your mind on Christ. Let me use another illustration. A while ago, we were over at the Alamoana Mall, and there's a coffee place. There's a little kiosk up on a second or third floor. I can't really remember, but it's up there in the middle of the Alamoana Mall. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And often, sometimes when I go uh, shopping with Carol, there's a break in the shopping where Carol wants to kind of do her thing and look at her stuff. I call it girly things. You know, guys, what I'm talking about. And so I don't want to look at girly things. And so she says, why don't you wait right here and I'll come back for you. So I usually bring with me stuff to do, hoping that she would say that. You know how you guys are. So I'm sitting there. And after a while, I'm wondering when Carol's going to come. And I know the direction in which she has gone. So I'm looking in that direction. And so I'm setting my mind on Carol. She's out there. I'm setting my mind on, on Carol. She's coming back. I'm setting my mind. She went in that direction. I'm kind of seeking her. I'm focusing. And this one particular time, I thought she was never going to come. And I thought, do I need to call her on a cell phone? And of course, that might embarrass her if she's in a store talking to somebody. And I don't want to bother her if I don't have to. And all of a sudden, I saw Carol way off in the distance. And I'm seeing her come toward me. And I'm looking at her. And I want to see, what is she going to look at? What is she going to do? How is she going to see me? When is she going to look at me looking at her kind of a thing? And then I see her and she's walking through the mall and she's getting closer. And I'm, I'm just, I don't know, I just get excited. Maybe because yesterday was our 39th anniversary. But I'm watching her come. And I was so filled with... I don't know, just Carol's so good looking and she's coming and we're going to go on with our day. I just fill with a song. And so in my heart I was singing, do I did it, here she comes just to walking down the street, you know, and then she shows up. Now here's what I want to say. As much as I love Carol and I know as much as she probably loves me, we're not to be looking for people or cats as much as we're to focus on Jesus Christ. And some of us, we can get so caught up in even doing nice things, looking at nice things, but really... He says our focus needs to be on Jesus Christ. We focus on Him. We focus on His value. We focus on His character. In fact, let me ask you, when you think of Christ, if, if you could take any one thing from Christ, what would you want it to be in your life? Would it be His tenderness to little kids, His kindness to those people that were against Him? Would it be His boldness when He needed to speak boldly? Was it that He, he, he got alone and He talked to His Father in prayer? What is it about Christ? That whole essence of Christ... And you know right now as I'm talking about Christ and I'm bringing His name up to you and I'm kind of focusing on a couple of little things, I would imagine if any measure you're engaged in this message, you got thinking, oh yeah, He prayed. He was in the wilderness. Oh yeah, I remember that. Oh yeah, when the little kids came up into His lap, all of a sudden you stop thinking about the cares of the world, the physical pain you might be in, the future of your finances. All of a sudden something was happening inside of you. There was a moment of an act of peace because you were focusing on the Lord. So you're seeking Him. You're focusing, but then you set once and for all, your focus upon Him. And oh, how important that is. Now, if I could give you a little formula, write this in your notes. I really think that if you have thoughts plus affections, that would be thoughts plus affections, it will then equal a change of actions. And so if you have a heart that's turned toward the Lord, you have thoughts and your mind is a biblical thought about who Christ is, it will have some kind of an effect inside of you. In fact, I believe that our heart will shape our passion. And so if our heart is right, it's connected to the Lord and we really love Him, it will shape our passion and we'll have a more biblical, pure passion. But at the same time, our minds, our thinking will shape our priorities. 
So if my heart is right, but my mind is on Christ, my priorities will match my passion. So I, my emotions will be properly balanced with the proper lifestyle that I would have in my life. That's why it says, look at the verse again, set your mind on things above. In other words, you don't want to just have an emotional, existential, little explosive time of worship. There are many people today that are expressing forms of worship and, and I, I don't want to marginalize them where they really are. But I also want to make sure that we don't buy into an imbalance that we think that true worship is merely just an emotional uh, experience with God. It is that, but it must be balanced, quote, tempered on thinking. And that comes when we have our mind on Christ. Now... If you're to think about Christ, we know that it says think about things which are above. We know that Christ is everywhere. We know that Christ in us, the hope of glory. We know that his throne is in heaven and he's on his throne. So Christ is everywhere. But in this context, we're going to think about him above for just a moment. Now, when I think about Christ being above, there are two aspects of Christ. If you had to hone in on, what would they be? Here's number one. The first one would be his authority. That would be his control. I want you to think for just a moment that Jesus Christ... He went to the cross, but he is still Lord of lords and King of kings. Whether or not we make him or whether or not we surrender him, he's already that. He is King of kings. And so what we're doing right now is we think above that Jesus Christ is on his throne. He is in control. Now pause for me for just a moment. When we leave here today, we get into our cars, all of a sudden life slams us at full force and all the things that we have to do. Some of you got family activities this afternoon. Others are going to run and try to do your shopping. Others are going to try to do laundry tonight. You're thinking about next week. All of a sudden, we go on with the everyday bits of life. The Lord knows all of that. But what He wants us to do is to take the everyday issues of life and run it through the grid of a mind that has stayed on the Lord. So what you're doing now with this thought of He's in heaven, He's in control, He's authority. That means whatever you're going through right now, you're going to release that to the fact that He is in control, permitting or prescribing whatever is going on in your life. Now, folks, as soon as we realize that, those of you that are growing in your understanding of Christ, that's not a bad thing. Jesus Christ is not a monster. He is in control. This world is not chaotic. It's not like you just broke a jar full of marbles and they're rolling everywhere. It is with God, everything is in control. There are those of you that are thinking about the upcoming elections even. I don't know who's all going to win this thing, and I'm not here trying to be pol political, but I think we'd have to have our he head stuck in the sand at the beach if we don't realize that there's a lot of stuff that could happen, like a big, huge domino effect. But I don't want you to think that the affairs of man are totally controlled only by the affairs of man, that God is in control. Whatever you're going through, Jesus is in control. But you need to know number two because this is going to show you some joy into it. The second thought of that is that we are secure in His love. So while He is in control and while He is in authority, He is loving you. So let's say that you've got some stuff that's happening to you right now. I want you to know that God loves you. You may feel rejected in a relationship. I want you to know God's in control. He's aware of what's going on. Perhaps that even could be a good thing. It's driving you deeper into the Word. But He's doing it because He loves you. He loves you. If you're seated here right now and you're going home and you're going to bed alone, He loves you. If you're in the midst of a lot of activities but you feel like you're standing for a cause and it's all by yourself, I want you to He loves you. If you right now feel like your fitness is going, He loves you. Your finances is going, He loves you. He's a God who is in control. And that's why Paul is telling these dear Colossian people like he's telling the sweet people here today. He's saying, set your mind on things above. Seek those things which are... Focus on Christ. Now, 
There are a lot of different ways that we might want to do that. You can see it here in Scripture how important that really is. I like what Lloyd Ogilvie says. He says, Victorious resurrection living can be realized through conscious, habitual patterns of thought and attitude of heart. But let me give you some practical things. Some of you are saying, Okay, I understand. He's in control and he loves me. But how do I make that happen in a way to keep my mind on him? Here is just some earthly suggestions of what you can do to keep your mind on Christ. Bullet point number one. Start the night before... And the first thing in the morning, each day, with thoughts about God. Now, you want to mark that in your notes. Start the night before, so mark that down. When you go to sleep at night, the last thing you're going to do is to think about God. Now, while you're writing that down, while you're marking that, let me tell you a true story. There's a man by the name Dawson Trotman. Dawson Trotman, other than that he rose to the surface in our minds the, the importance of biblical discipleship, part of the discipleship mechanism that's so biblical is the memorization and meditation on Scripture. So he and his wife had a, a habit that they would do before they would go to sleep at night. What they would do is that they were committed that the last word they would hear from their mate would be a Bible verse that that mate would share with them. So his wife would give a Bible verse to him and they would kiss him goodnight. Then he would give her a Bible verse and so that the last thing on their mind would be a Bible verse. Now, I don't know what Bible verses uses. I don't know, maybe she had, a, she had a problem with punctuality, so he gave a lot of verses to her before she went to sleep on being punctual. I don't know that, okay? I do know this, that when they went to sleep at night, going from their conscious to subconscious was a mind about Christ. But now go a little bit further. And the first thing in the morning, that's why we urge all the young people, before you hit the ground running, watch this, before you turn the iPod on, Try to take a moment and focus and give God the best part of your day at the beginning. Then it says each day. Underline that phrase. That means every day. There's no day off with God. Keep your thoughts about the Lord. Let's go to bullet point number two. Pray throughout the day that God would give you a heavenly perspective. Pray. In other words, it's a conscious thought of God. That's keeping your mind on things above. That's a focus on the Lord. And then it's a heavenly perspective on people, events, and circumstances. So what you're thinking about now is you're thinking about what you're going through. And now you're saying, Lord, what do you have in this that I could learn? You're thinking about a person that's struggling right now. And you're saying, I can't really help that person. So instead of walking away and feeling guilty, which you can say, I can pray for him. So right now you're engaging God. You're engaging that circumstance. You're engaging a relationship with the Lord and that is what's going to feed your soul. That's how you change from an old life to a new life as you take on a whole new perspective. But you've got to push that little button inside of you which is called the want to button and only you and I can do that privately, personally. Bullet point number three. This is a simple one. You know this other. Make God's word a part of your life every day. Now, we have a tremendous devotional. We are getting phone calls and letters from people that are getting our little devotional. We've got ministries that found our devotional want to know how they can get copies to send to all their people. And I'm glad for that. You guests that are here, can't wait for you to open up your load. There's a devotional in there. It'll, it's great. But now, that's like a Hershey bar. And Hershey bars are good because they taste so sweet and they're all packaged up. Or maybe for some of you health food people, they're like a, like a granola bar all wrapped up. Really good stuff, the Word of God. But I'm going to tell you, you can't live your life on a Hershey bar. You can't live your life even on a granola bar. You've got to have more than that. So devotionals are good. They kind of get you to think about the Lord, but feast on God's Word. And now number four, the fourth bullet point. Spend time around others who want to think like you do. So in other words, now you're going to have to look at your friends. You're going to have to look at your relationships. And so if there's someone that isn't far as long as in the Lord as you are, your commitment to be them is so that you can add value to your life. It's not merely to schmooze with them. It's not merely to use the time with them as an excuse to maybe connect better to them. It's a time for you to see what I can do to 
build them up in the Lord. I would suggest to be around the, the really great players. Let, let me use this as an illustration. I don't play golf, okay? I, I'm not against anybody that's not a sin to play golf, you know, I guess you, you, you could become if you do it without being where God is and all that. But if you had a chance and you wanted to improve your golf game, the question is, would you want to always be around somebody who played golf worse than you are? Now, I will tell you this. You'll feel better when you play around people that play golf worse than you do because it'll always make you feel like you're doing really good until you play with someone who can play better than you play. Then you feel so badly. And here's what goes on in your mind. You don't like being around them because they play better, they look better, people hang around them better. They seem to have things go better. And you think, I'm making a fool out of my life. I'm clipping. I'm not doing what I should. I can't play this game. You throw your club down. Then you quit. That happens in our Christian growth. You hang around people that aren't as good as you, you're going to feel more spiritual than you really are. You'll never stretch, you'll never grow, and it's quite likely you're going to pick up their bad swing in life. But at the same time, you hang around those that you're less comfortable being around because they seem to be walking a little bit more steadily with God. I can tell you, those are the kind of people that are going to pick you up and you're going to sit back, you're going to watch how they do this, you're going to talk story with them about their spiritual growth, or in this case, their golf game. So choose your friends with care. Now this coming Saturday night at our house, we're taking the single, adult singles, and we're going to show them how to develop questions that you can ask with one another to begin to add value to each other to see how that relationship is going to the next level. That's all a part of the people that you're around. Set in your mind on things above, seeking first the kingdom of God. Remember, we either see things below from a heavenly perspective down, which I like doing. I like to be up high, and I like to see all that's down below us. Or what we can do is to be down here with all the obstacles of life and try to look at something that's up above. Seek what's up above first. Let's go to the next one. I think this point will help you out. So what you want to do is you want to see, set, in three, see yourself dead and alive. That's a phrase for you, dead and alive. Dead and alive. How many of you remember those old West posters that said, wanted, dead or what? Alive. Wanted, dead or alive. But you know what the Lord, he says, I don't want you dead or alive. He said, I want you dead and alive. And we're going to explain what that means in just a moment. Let's look at the verse, everyone. Follow along silently and I'll read it to you. It says, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, of appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's just stop there for a moment. This is just dripping with wonderful truths. This is just dripping with great stuff. Here it says, for you died, past tense. When you trusted Christ, you died with him and your life is hidden with Christ in God. All right, we're going to let my right hand for just a moment represent you and me, okay? This is you and me. Now, we're going to let this hand over here represent Christ for a moment. When we say we died with Christ, what we have done is we have now taken, we placed our faith in Christ. When we placed our faith in Christ, then when Christ died, essentially, we died with him. And because he came back to life, we now died with him and are alive with him. And what also is neat, we did it with him and our life is hid in God, in Christ. So we are surrounded with so much of God in Christ that we not only cannot lose our salvation, but we now have a new life that is a victorious life. It's a great life, folks. And that's the joy that we have in Christ, being dead with him. And notice that phrase. It says, when Christ, who is our life. But here's my question. Who is your life? Or what do you have in your life that's not Christ? Now you're probably saying, what do you mean? How do I know if I have an improper balance that someone else is more my life than Christ is? Or how would I know if I have an improper balance if what is in my life is more than Christ? 
If you'd like me to tell you what it is, I'll tell you what it is. Now, some of you are going to think that it's going to be some particular earthly sin, and it could be that, but let me just give it to you in a bigger concept. You will know if something is to you more than Christ or if someone is more to you than Christ is when that person, that relationship moves out of your life and you feel a sense of loss. If something is more than Christ in your life, when that thing is gone and you have a tremendous sense of loss, an improper sense of loss. Now, I know if you have a loss of a loved one who, who died, he went to heaven or maybe didn't, whatever, there will be that momentary sense of loss. We see it in Scripture. But when you can't get past that and put that in a proper perspective, then I'm going to say that what's happened is that person has been a tremendous sense of loss and that person now almost became Christ to you. I did a funeral of two people who died. The mother died about a year ahead of the father of the family, the husband and wife. They were best buds. They played golf three times a week. He owned a car dealership on the island. He moved to the mainland. And now they, had him, they were cremated and they were going to put him inside a vault there at Punchbowl. And while they were there, I was talking to the family. And the family said, you know, mom and dad were so much best buds. They did everything together. But when my mom died, immediately my dad's health just dropped like a rock. And within a year, he died a horrible death. So all I got thinking is the loss that that might have been. Now let me come back to folks like you. I would really pray that our center of our life is so much Jesus Christ that when we suffer that loss, that we have that loss because we know it's not there. Something got stolen. So we lost something. We have that momentary sense of loss, but we can quickly put it back into perspective again. That's where we need to be. M- maybe this verse will help you. The psalmist said this in Psalm seventy-three twenty-five. It's one of my life verses in a relationship with him. Psalm seventy-three twenty-five. Whom have I in heaven but you? Now think about that phrase. Who do I have in heaven but you? That's where we need to be. If you talk to the normal Christian, you'd say, who do you want to see when you get to heaven? Some will say Paul, some will say Joshua, some will say Mary, some will say grandma, grandpa. It's all normal. We want to see other people perhaps. But this psalmist said, who do, as far as I'm concerned, you're it, Lord. The rest of the verse really kind of gives me perspective for now. The rest of the verse says this. First says, whom have I in heaven but thee? And there's none upon earth I desire beside thee. This is Joe Pons, and I want to thank you for listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Clarity Christian College. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It's the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. That's makeitclear.org. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please email us at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. That's tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.